Friendship isn't the big things, it's a million little things. Welcome friends, to the A Million Little TV Shows podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and I'll be delving into TV shows that I feel don't seem to get enough love. Over the course of the pod, we'll break down episodes and talk about my thoughts and feelings on the shows. Hello there, and welcome to this, A Million Little TV Shows podcast. As you guys know, I have been away, so I've managed to get back from Japan. I'm perfectly safe. Uh, Obviously, there was a massive natural disaster over there while I was there, so that was a bit of a scary time, but I managed to make it out alive. So, all good. Not that it really affected me. That sounded awful. Um, But obviously, thoughts and prayers with the people of Japan, because it was... It was a rough time. There was a lot of panic over there while I was there. But that country, man, it has a special place in my heart. I absolutely love Japan. It is fucking nuts. Although a little disappointed, didn't manage to get to see Godzilla. So, you know, stick your game up, Japan. Come on, what are you doing? I tell a lie. I did see a statue of Godzilla. So, yeah. Okay, you win. But yeah, it was such a great time. Had such a good time out there. Travelled on my own, as I always do. But it was just me, my thoughts, and an incredible country. So, yeah. If you ever get a chance to go, go. Note that it is fucking busy. And that is pretty much everywhere. But, yeah. Just, if you can get out there, get out there, do it. It is brilliant. As for everything else, the ankle is now mostly healed. I think I'm about 98%, something like that. It's a lot better now. That doesn't stop me sitting on it. Every now and again, I will sit on it and remember that I'm going to probably end up falling over again. But that's my own stupid fault, really. Um, I hope you guys are all doing well out there. Hope you had a good Christmas. Hope you had a good New Year. And we're now back into this. Obviously... By the time you listen to this, this will be February. But as you know, I was away. So last few bits that I probably need to talk about is I have some new equipment. So before it was just me and a microphone and a laptop doing all of this. And now I have some actual protection. So hopefully it'll be a little bit less echoey. Hopefully it picks the sound up a bit better. It's that noise reducing foam stuff. So Hopefully this sounds a little bit better. My voice hasn't got any less gravelly. That's just going to have to be something you deal with. And the last thing that I want to say just before we start getting into things is I want to thank a lady called Sasha Vesterdijk, who when I was in London just before Christmas, the cheeky scam that she is actually took a video of me and my colleague walking through London, Victoria, and we had a couple of cupcakes with us from a company called Lola's. And that video has ended up going to 170,000 views or something like that. And then it was by happenstance that someone sent it to my colleague and then he sent it on to me. And I have reached out to Sasha and said thank you because some of the comments in there were beautiful. Just really sort of 
restores your faith in humanity. So big thank you to her, big shout out to her. If you want to go see two idiots walking through a busy train station with little cupcake boxes, it always managed to make me laugh now. So even just the thought of it, um, go check it out. Her name's Sasha Vesterdyke. She is on TikTok. Yeah. Or search for Lola's Cupcakes. I'm sure you'll find it. But yeah, so <laughs> that's something that uh, was unexpected, but quite um, well received when I actually saw it. So it made made me smile. So hopefully it'll make you smile if you go and check it out as well. So let's go full steam ahead now. The next installment. And as you know, towards the end of a series, I'm trying to keep it regular. I'm trying not to divert from this 13 episode series that I've been doing. And as you know, I try and step away from a million little things, which is the thing that inspired this podcast, and try and go down a different route. And today we're going to be looking at something brand new for the podcast, and it's going to be Hannibal. Now, I forgot how good this series was um, until I started watching it literally yesterday. Today is today is the 15th of January, so, you know, you guys aren't that far behind me now. But yeah, so when I actually watched this series again, I forgot how good everything in it is. The acting's fantastic, the sound is brilliant, but also very disconcerting. And then you've got the acting, and then you've got the script, and the sets that are all there, and just this eerie sense throughout um it gives real kind of dexter vibes dexter which is another show that i absolutely loved but it gives real dexter vibes but it's dark it's it's much darker than dexter and then mads mickelson as this sinister serial killer cannibal genius i don't think there's been a better role for him and i'm sure he's done a shit ton more of amazing roles I did enjoy him in Fantastic Beasts, but watching him in this makes me realise how really good he is at being Hannibal. So for the rest of this series, we've got Hannibal for episodes 9, 11 and 13. And then for episodes 10 and 12, we're going to be covering the second season of Modern Love, which is also its final season. From there, I've started mapping out what I want to do with the rest of these episodes. So season 4 is already planned out season five is already planned out there are several shows that i want to cover and i have a list a massive list of shows that i know i want to go through some i've watched some i actually haven't now because when i had the idea for this podcast i thought well why not do it while i'm watching it and it'll give me fresh eyes it'll make me pay attention a little bit more to what i'm actually watching Yeah, so hopefully, you know, you guys can follow me on social media. I'm going to start updating that a lot more because I've really fell off recently. I used to do it daily. I don't do it at all now. Um, Every now and again, I'll put something up, but it's not good enough, really. Um, But also, but today I got to 1,000 downloads on Podbean, and I've also got like 18,000 downloads on Spotify. So things are going well. I don't make any money from this, but things are going well. So hopefully you guys are going to stick with me. And now I'm going to stop rambling because it's time to get into the episode. 
So today we're going to be covering Hannibal Season 1, Episodes 1 to 4. So the cast list for this series are Hugh Dancy as Will Graham, Mads Mikkelsen as Dr. Hannibal Lecter, Caroline de Havanas as Dr. Alana Bloom, Lawrence Fishburne as Jack Crawford, Casey Roll as Abigail Hobbs, and Lara Jean Koryostecki as Freddie Lowndes. So we start with a focus on the lead, Will Graham, and he's stood in the middle of a crime scene. At the minute, we have no idea what's gone on. All we see are that there are two dead bodies in quite a nice house. Will seems to be concentrating on something, and then all of a sudden, he starts playing back through. So the scene actually goes in reverse, as if he is going to run through the whole thing again from his perspective. But he is taking the perspective of the killer. So we see everything going in reverse. So the blood spatter comes off the walls and goes back into the victims. The bullet goes back through into the gun. We see the man who came down the stairs go back up the stairs and Will walks back out into the street. It's then we get a real-time view of it, as if now Will is the killer. And he walks back into the house and he shoots the man coming down the stairs and then shoots the woman, but he describes how he shoots them, and he tells the audience that he kills them with such precision that they're not dead when they hit the ground, but they aren't alive to do enough. It's through this process that Will deduces that actually what's happened is, because they've got this big, expensive alarm system, he knows that the only way to bypass that will be to give the information over to the actual alarm company so that they don't send the police out. But the only way to do that is to answer a series of questions. So Will finds out that actually the person who killed these people actually bugged the house and ended up being able to record Mrs. Marlowe, the name of the female victim, so that when the security company rang, he had the taped answers. So he could just buy himself more time to torture this woman and be able to kill her. It's actually then revealed that this is actually part of Will's teaching. Will's a professor at the FBI and he teaches classes on behavioural science and patterns and what to look for in a crime scene and also how to deduce the identity of a killer. He's an FBI profiler, but also Will has this weird gift of being able to put himself in the place of the killer and he describes himself as much as being on the spectrum by that we can assume it's the autistic spectrum and he describes himself as being closer to Asperger's than he is to a sociopath so he's able to engage with people but he's not a very people person so Jack Crawford the head of the behavioral sciences at the FBI comes to speak to Will after his lecture, just to find out if he can help him with this case that he's currently got going on. At the present time, there are eight women that have been abducted, but at this point, no bodies have been found, and not a trace. And so Jack is at an absolute loss. Jack tells Will that all the kidnapped women 
have similar features. They all are roughly the same height, same sort of build, and they have the same hair colour and attributes. But Will claims that where they all are similar, only one of them is special to the actual killer. But now it's a case of finding out who that special one is, because one of these women is the key to all of this. So Jack takes Will to go and see the parents of the latest victim, Elise. Now it seems that all these girls have had another thing in common, and that is the fact that they're all students at university. So while he's talking to the parents, Will realises that Elise came home for the weekend, that she got kidnapped, because he starts asking questions that seem so unrelated, but actually aren't. The parents were away for the weekend, and the daughter was meant to be coming home to look after the cat. And Will asks, was the cat in any distress when you got home? And it turns out that the cat wasn't. It had been fed, it had been looked after, but they hadn't focused on that. So they hadn't thought that she'd come home. But actually, she had. She'd come home and she'd looked after the cat. So it turns out that she'd been taken from their family home. Whereas they initially thought she'd been taken from the college grounds. So Will asks to see her room, but when he goes up there... He finds the cat scratching at the door and he immediately realises something's different, something's wrong. And as he walks into the room, he finds Elise laid in her bed, dead. This hadn't happened to any other crime scene when it came to these eight girls. So Will cannot understand why it's now happened. So Will begins to do his usual little trick. He starts to break down the scene, but he needs absolute quiet he needs to be on his own and just in the room with the victim and just to break down the scene and at this point jack generally has everyone kicked out of the room so that this process can happen so will's just starting to get into it he's starting to feel the groove he's starting to think about what would happen and what the killer would have done and why the killer has brought her back but he starts with the night of the kidnap. But just then, one of the investigators from the FBI walks in, a girl named Beverly Katz, and she's found Antler Velvet in the wombs of the victim. And she comes back because it seems like this girl has been gored by something. So she's come back to check whether the other wounds have this Antler Velvet in, because she's only found it in two so far. But this disturbs Will and knocks him straight out of his groove. But hearing about the antler velvet triggers something for Will. He realises that antler velvet isn't something that you would generally use unless you were trying to fix, unless you were trying to promote healing within those wounds, even though this girl would have been long gone by then. Will realises that this person was trying to honor his victim he was trying to look after them he was trying to take back what he did so this makes will believe that whatever this guy has done to the other victims he didn't do it to elise so will goes back to his home and we see that will may have this ability and that he may not be great with people but one thing that he does love is he loves animals and especially dogs and it seems especially strays as he stops at the side of the road when he sees a stray dog and picks it up and takes it home and integrates it with the other dogs that he has. 
to try and give it a better life, which is something that I actually quite like about Will. Will can be quite a odd character, I suppose, but I suppose I can be quite an odd character as well. But he's very, obviously, as I've stated, he's somewhere on the spectrum, so there's these awkward moments with him, and you can tell that he's highly intelligent, and he just doesn't really connect with people that well. But when he starts to connect with dogs, I get it. I love it. It's such a cute thing. If I was able to, when I'm not traveling with work or traveling for my own mental health or, you know, just working as much as I can, I'd have a dog. But I don't think I've got time to look after a dog. So it's frustrating for me because I love dogs. So when Will obviously picks up this dog, I find it quite cute. And he's obviously got several other dogs, so it's just adorable. But it's nice to know that he can connect with something. Jack, however, is getting frustrated because he knows that there is a short timeline for this guy. He's not fucking around and he's picking off victims very, very quickly, very efficiently and leaving no trace. So Jack needs to find this guy as soon as possible. So Jack tries to get Will to step up his game and really start focusing on what's going on and try and profile this guy. And Will tells Jack that he believes that whatever this killer is doing, he is honouring these victims. He tells Jack that he believes that he loves them. But when Jack tells them, well, that's stupid because there's no signs on a lease of any sexual activity, so that's that blown out. He says, not that kind of love. It's not in a sexual way. He loves them, and he's trying to honour them. Jack knows that due to Will's ability, he's going to need to make sure that everything's going to be okay for Will. So he goes and speaks to a psychiatrist, Alana Bloom, and he wants her to get closer to Will. He knows that they've got a little bit of a friendship, and he wants her to get closer to him so that if things go south with this whole case, she's there as a support mechanism for him. But due to the friendship, she tells him that she's not willing to do it, but maybe there is another that he could try. During the autopsy of Elise is where we get the biggest clue yet as to what's going on. So it turns out that Elise had been mounted on deer heads, which explains the antler velvet in her wounds. And also, she'd been drained. And when they examine her liver, they find that it's been removed, but also it's been put back. So they can't understand why the killer would have killed her, removed her liver, but then put it back, and then put her back in her own bed. So we'll ask the question whether there was anything wrong. And it turns out that she had liver cancer. And it's here that Will, a light bulb goes on. He realises that the murderer couldn't have honoured this girl because he couldn't eat the liver. He couldn't use the liver for something else. Everything else, every other part of these girls, he's killing and eating them. And that's why they're finding no evidence. And that's why they're not finding any bodies. On Alana's suggestion, Jack goes to see Dr. Hannibal Lecter. Now, anyone who's been brought up in pop culture over the last 40 years definitely knows the name Hannibal Lecter. So, when I mentioned a cannibal earlier and the name Hannibal Lecter, we all know what's going on. 
But Jack just wants help with this case. He wants a psychologist that's going to help Will figure out what's going on, but also make sure that he doesn't go too deep into this case and that he doesn't go too far down the rabbit hole. Because Alana suggested that if he gets too involved, he will. But Will sees straight through this. He knows that Hannibal is only there to assess him and make sure that he is competent to carry out what Jack wants. But Jack knows also that he's just ticking a box. He's not truly really going to help Will at all. He just wants the best result that he can get. Later, another body is found. But this time, it isn't like the others. It's mounted on a stag's head, for sure. But it isn't anything like the other cases. It's found out in the open, and only one part of the body has been taken. And it's the lungs in this case. And it's at this point that we get possibly my favourite scenes within the whole show. So whenever someone ends up dying or someone has been killed at the hands of Hannibal, we get these odd shots. If it's Hannibal at a dinner table and he's talking about the food that is in front of him, it tends to be how the victim ended up on his table. Whereas in this case, it's the opposite way around. So they've found a crime scene. They've found that the lungs are missing from this person. And then we get a shot of Hannibal preparing his next meal, which which oddly enough turns out to be lung. And the way that the whole thing is shot is just top to bottom beautiful like him cooking the meal and so all the cut shots that are in there the way that he's preparing the meal he's you know doing the old chef thing of flicking it over the flame so he can get a bit of a flambe on it and he's he's really going to town on it it looks amazing if it was prepared in a restaurant you'd be like yeah i'd probably eat that but it's so well done because you know Literally, you saw in the last shot of where it came from. It's so good. It's so clever. And I forget how quickly they reveal. Obviously, we all know Hannibal Lecter. We know the name. We've seen the films, etc., etc. So we know what it entails. But it's just that it's like a showmanship. So we know at some point that he's going to be killing people. And to happen in the first episode. And not only that to be so outright and bold with it when he kills this person is fucking brilliant. But Will, again, sees straight through this. He realises that this isn't the normal killer. This is a copycat because they've not honoured the body at all. They've just taken the lungs. So during his musings on this problem, Will realises that maybe the reason that he is honouring these girls is because he feels that they remind him of someone and that maybe it's his daughter. Maybe that's the clue. Maybe that's the one that is the special one and that maybe she's of around about college age like the girls that have already gone to these colleges. Maybe it's time that she was about to leave. Maybe she's going off to college. Maybe she's finishing up at high school and maybe she's leaving and that's why he's stoking this fear to try and make sure that she doesn't go. So while they're out on the road, it seems that the FBI are putting Will up in a lot of hotels. It seems more like a motel where he is at the minute. And on that morning, Dr. Lecter turns up and he has prepared breakfast for Will. 
Now, when I say breakfast, obviously there's meat involved, and as we know, it's Hannibal Lecter, so we can only imagine what that sausage is made out of. But he turns up and he feeds him. And while he's feeding him, he's asking him about the crime scene and all the variables. And he's trying to get Will to process what's been going on and also think about all the problems that he's got. So it seems that Jack has put Will and Hannibal together as a team to go out and investigate. While they were examining Elisa's clothes, it seems like they found a small piece of metal that was from pipe threading. And so they've gone to a local construction site to try and speak to someone there to try and find out if they can find any information about this serial killer that they just can't seem to pin down. While they're there, they start to speak to a woman about a guy named Garrett Jacob Hobbs and Will asks whether he has a daughter. And when Will gives the description of the daughter, he realises that this is our guy. He gathers all information on Garrett as soon as he can and he puts it in his car and he goes over and while he's there, Hannibal's just trying to help him as best he can. And by best, it's definitely quotation marks as he drops a bunch of papers to distract Will. He heads back inside and he takes the phone and he calls the Hobbs residence and he speaks to the daughter, Abigail, and asks if she will put on her father. When she does, he tells him they know and that's all. And then he hangs up. And it's at this point that Will and Hannibal are literally about to head over to try and confront Garrett Jacob Hobbs. When they get to the house, the door bursts open and his wife stumbles out of the door. She's covered in blood and she's bleeding profusely from the neck. She drops down on the deck and that's it. She's gone. There's no help for her whatsoever. They head in the house and when they get in there... Garrett is in the kitchen with his daughter. He has Abigail with a knife to her throat and he's threatening to cut it. Will goes in, he's got his gun out, he is ready to shoot and just as Garrett slits his daughter's throat, Will pulls the trigger, manages to hit him so that it doesn't do as much damage to Abigail but she falls to the floor anyway and she is bleeding out. Garrett comes towards Will and he takes more shots. He empties the clip into him and Garrett falls down against the cupboards to die. Will runs over and he's trying to stop the bleeding he is. He has his hands to Abigail's throat and he is just trying to put pressure on her so that she doesn't bleed out. All this while Hannibal just watches on. Over the next couple of days we see that Will is in the hospital as well as Hannibal and they are just looking after Abigail as she is obviously convalescing. At this point she's unconscious, seems to be in a coma and is getting treated for the throat laceration. And when Jack speaks to Alana, Alana is furious at him because she knew that this is exactly what was going to happen. Will is too unstable to be out in the field and she warned him as such. She told him not to use Will because he will get too attached and it will not be good for anyone involved. And Jack has just gone against her wishes. And now look at the mess that they're in. Because Will has got too attached to Abigail already. Episode 2, A Moose Boosh. So Jack and Will end up going to visit the, I mean I've written it as Butcher's Shop. 
of Garrett Jacob Hobbs, and they find in there evidence of fresh kills that he's made, but not from the girls, but from hunting. It seems that he's an avid hunter, and he has this cabin in the woods that essentially he takes any kills that he's got in there, and he breaks down the carcasses. And he, according to his daughter, makes knives from the bones of deer and he uses every piece of the carcass to make whatever it is. So so the fur of the animal would be made to make a rug or a throw or something or he'd take it into town and he'd sell it there. And then every little bit of the animal would be used for something. But one thing they do find in there is a room full of antlers and it's like top to toe. It's up in the roof and it is literally like every wall. There are maybe a hundred pairs of antlers on the ceiling. And some of them have got blood on them. Which as we know, Elise was impaled. At this point, Jack starts believing that Garrett Jacob Hobbs couldn't do this on his own. And that maybe he had an accomplice. And not only an accomplice, but he's using his daughter. Because Jack thinks that she would make good bait. She would be able to make friends with these young women and then lure them back to where Garrett is. And he could do what he wants to them. But Will is but Will is unconvinced. And as he's searching through this shed, he manages to find a red hair in amongst all this eerie death. And the red hair is massively out of place because Garrett didn't kill red-haired women. He only killed brunettes like his daughter. So there's no reason for that red hair to be there. No one was red-haired in the family. So why was it there? Well, we find out pretty instantly why that red hair was there. And it was due to some reporter that had managed to get on the scene before the FBI had. And she's gone in. She's had a look around and she's took plenty of pictures. And then we see that she's actually writing an article about the murders. So because of everything that went on in the previous episode with Will and the fact that he ended up shooting someone and emptied his clip into him, Alana is a bit alarmed about this. So her and Jack speak to Will about whether it's the right time for him really to be back out in the field, even though he's just been to this essentially murder shack but Alana doesn't think that it's the right time for him right now he needs to be properly assessed he's just killed a man and he is very rarely out in the field anyway so she thinks that this is a bad time for him to be out right now and says as much to Jack Jack's having none of it Jack needs him out in the field right now because he needs to get a profile on this guy and find out what happened to these bodies but also now that there's a copycat out there, he needs to find them too. And of course, what I didn't touch upon in the last episode was the fact that Will thinks that this copycat won't ever do the murder that he did, as in as in posing someone on a stag head again. Will thinks that this copycat killer is way too advanced, way too intelligent. He's manipulating the system. He knows that there was a killer out there that was impaling people on stag heads. And he's essentially just played along to show that he's there, but has no intention of ever doing that again. So Alana tells Jack that she's not happy for him to be out in the field right now and that he needs to be assessed. He needs to sit down with someone and it looks like Alana's suggesting herself, but Jack suggests that Hannibal does it because Hannibal has no 
emotional attachment to Will right now. So he would be in a better place to make the assessment. He would be more neutral. But Jack does say that if Will prefers that Alana does it, he will accept it. He just wants Will back out in the field, as I've said. But when they speak to Will about it, Will just doesn't care. He doesn't want anyone in his head. He doesn't want to talk to anyone. And he certainly doesn't want anyone, as he puts it, messing around in there. But as we've said, to be in the FBI, he needs this assessment. And so Jack tells him that it's not an option. He has to see someone. He has to speak to someone. Because Jack's not happy with the fact that he got way too close to this case. And now it seems that he's getting way too close to Abigail as well. And tells him, you need to speak to someone. So since Will has no option, he goes to see Hannibal. But as soon as he gets there, Hannibal knows that he's coming. And he just signs him off straight away. He tells him that he doesn't want to hold him up. And certainly doesn't want to hold up Jack. So he signs him off straight away. And it means that Jack will be off both of their backs. But also, Hannibal has a plan in place. He still wants to speak to Will. He still wants to have conversations with Will and help assess him. But he believes that Will still needs to be doing his job and using his ability while Hannibal is assessing him. So he needs him back out in the field regardless. He tells Will that he feels that they have something in common when it comes to Abigail. He sees that Will has an attachment to Abigail through sympathy for her. And he tells Will that Hannibal feels the same. And this brings Will to discussing the fact that Jack thinks that Abigail potentially be her dad's accomplice. And they begin to discuss this, but Hannibal doesn't seem convinced by it just at the minute. And Will certainly doesn't seem convinced by it at all. It's then that we get to see what's next in this fucking creative show. And we see three teenage boys out in the woods. And they stumble across a field of mushrooms. But as they get closer, they find a hand sticking out of the ground. And it turns out that these bodies have been put in the ground alive with an intravenous drip feeding their bodies and they've been in there long enough to start growing mushrooms over the top of them so these mushrooms are literally growing out of these bodies the visuals of it are fucking amazing it is the weirdest looking thing and i'm sure a lot of you have seen the last of us it's like that it looks exactly like that it's stunning how good this makeup and everything looks and how these bodies look so of course because of the bizarreness of this scene the fbi are called in and of course it's jack's team that come through and they find that there's nine bodies all in different states of decay in these shallow graves i suppose is the best way to call it and while they're investigating we see a familiar redhead turn up and she starts asking questions about will at this point, Will is stood in the middle of this scene. No one is around him, and he is doing his thing. Now, <laughs> one of the things I like about this is obviously the scenes where it turns back time and it shows how the killer did the thing that they did and the methodology behind the madness and all that kind of stuff. However, the thing that really does my head in, and it's the one thing that I still remember from this show, 
and every now and again I'll quote it in my head, just randomly, it'll just pop in there and I'll go, oh shit, what was that from? It's, this is my design. And every time Will goes into one of these trances and he maps out what happened and speaks to the story of what happened, at the end he always says, this is my design. And it's fucking cringeworthy and annoying and I don't know why they did it. I don't know if it was in the books. It may have been. Obviously, these are based on the Thomas Harris books. Um, but, I'm, yeah, it it's one of those things that just grates on me every time I watch it. But so at the end of this little flashback, this little sort of getting inside the head of the killer, he says, this is my design. But while he's having these visions and while he ends up kneeling at one of the gravesides and he's thinking about what happened to these people, what happened to these victims, all of a sudden he sees the image of Hobbs, Garrett Jacob Hobbs, dead with the white eyes but bullet holes in his chest and everything. And then all of a sudden the body just pops out and grabs Will by the arm. And this is in real life now. So everyone rushes over and they get this guy out of the ground and he's still alive. It's a bit like the seed from Seven where the guy is strapped to the bed and all of a sudden just comes alive while Brad Pitt's berating him and telling him what a sick pervert he is and all this kind of stuff. And he just grabs hold of him and he freaks out and it's exactly the same as that. It's that feel. And of course this guy is... I'm probably going to use the word wrong, but emaciated and his his skin's basically peeling off his face. He looks like he should be better off casting The Walking Dead than he should be in this show. His skin is pulled back over his teeth. It looks like he's missing his top lip. It's grim. But the makeup job on him is fantastic. But after this incident with Will, Will goes back to see Lecter. And Will tells him that he thinks he's signed him off way too early. He's not properly processed what's happened with Hobbs and it's it's affecting this work. He's now seen visions of him. He's having nightmares about him. It's not looking good for him right now. And he just feels like maybe it's too early to go back. But Hannibal being Hannibal, he sits him down he talks to him and he convinces him that this is the right thing for him to be doing right now and that maybe he should just take Hannibal through the scene tell him what he saw when he saw Hobbs all the graphic details of what this scene entailed and so Will does so he sits and he talks to him and he tells him about the scene and he tells him about Hobbs and and then just as Will leaves Lecter has a new patient and oddly enough, it's a redhead named Miss Kimball. But just as she was outside... Now, the clever thing about Lecter's officers is that he has one door that goes in and one door that comes out, so his patients will never, ever meet. Now, I don't know if that happens in any other psychology officers, but in this case, it is one door in, one door out. And they leave at separate parts of the building and enter at separate parts of the building. So it wouldn't matter. And you'd always be anonymous. You're not going to bump into your neighbour because you're going to see the psychiatrist. But this Miss Kimball is at the inpatient end and she is recording what is going on in the room. And then Will leaves and Hannibal comes to her door, opens it and lets her in. 
And as he does, she claims that she is vetting several different doctors around the area because she's trying to find the best fit for her. But Hannibal tells her to give up the game. He knows who she is. She's the reporter, Freddie Lowndes, and she writes for Tattlecrime.com. He knows who she is, and she's trying to get information on Will Graham. He asks her to open her bag so he can see if she's got any sort of recording devices on her. But she claims that she doesn't, but obviously he doesn't believe her. She's a reporter after all. Of course she'd have some sort of recording device on her. And when she eventually opens her bag, he finds a recording device and gets her to delete the conversation between him and Will. But he seems to make a deal with her at the same time. So that night, while they're at dinner, Hannibal and... So that night, while they're at dinner, Hannibal and Jack have a conversation about Will. Jack believes that maybe it was too soon to be having Will back out in the field again, and that maybe Will is a, as he puts it, a broken pony. But Hannibal convinces him otherwise. He's He just needs time to get into Will's head and try and help him out with everything that's been happening. And of course, with the master manipulator that he is, He's got everyone at this point wrapped around his finger. So Jack instantly knows that he can trust Hannibal. Then we cut to the autopsy, which I find the most fascinating bit about this whole episode. And while they're autopsying the bodies, they end up finding that in the intravenous drips that were attached to each body was sugar water. And that was what was feeding the mushrooms. But also that each victim had kidney issues. And Will instantly realises that with the kidney issues and the sugar water and the fact that these people were put into comas, that maybe they all had diabetic issues and that the possibility was that someone who knew their medical history was switching out their insulin for something totally different so that they could get them under control and then they could bury them out in the woods and they could grow mushrooms off them. So the FBI link each patient to one person, and that's the pharmacist that signs each one of these patients off with their course of insulin. So instantly they head down there and they go after him. But when they get there, they find out that he was here, but he just left. As always, we generally see that in most TV shows. When the cops go after someone, oh, they were just here, they just left. They go out to the car park and they find his car, and in there, already, he has his next victim. The FBI open the boot and they find a woman buried in soil in the boot of this car, already with a drip, and managed to save her. But now they're still on the hunt for this guy. Freddie Lowndes, however, has her own agenda. And she writes an article about this whole story, about Will, about the FBI, about the investigation. And as soon as she does... It's out there for everyone to see, including Jack. And Jack is pissed off with this woman. So they go to her apartment, and he basically uses the long arm of the law, I suppose is the best way to put it, or the strong arm of the law in this case. And he basically tells her to back off, and that she needs to be kept away from crime scenes. He knows that she was obviously at the crime scene for the Hobbs murders, because they found her hair there. And she's got her fingerprints all over this mushroom case. 
So she needs to stop reporting on Will and the FBI and let them do their job. But the next day, the cop who ended up giving Freddie Lowndes all the information, while she was posing as one of the mothers of the teenage boys at the mushroom crime scene, he comes over and tells her that basically she's cost him everything. It looks like he's going to end up losing his job and he's pissed off with her. But she tells him that she could get him a job in security if he really wants. She knows some people, so she can get him in if he's struggling. And just as he's about to explode her, saying, you've done this before, I can't believe that you are trying to get away with this again. Bullet goes straight through him and blood spatters on Freddy's face. It's in broad daylight and it's the pharmacist. He comes over and he just shoots him right in the temple with a silencer. And then he asks Freddy who the guy in the article was. Who is Will Graham? So she gives him as much information as she can, including the fact that he's been at the hospital looking after Abigail Hobbs. So when the police turn up and she goes over to speak to Jack, she tells him that he was here and he's going after Will and he's going to do it by going after Abigail. Jack instantly calls Will and tells him to keep an eye on Abigail while he's at the hospital. At this point, Abigail isn't anywhere in his sightline, but he is at the hospital. So when he goes back up to her room, he can't find her. And then he's told by a nurse, oh, she's been taken for tests, but can't answer what tests. So Will heads around the hospital and he ends up finding her and the pharmacist. He instantly shoots the pharmacist. And this time it's just the one bullet. He takes him down, but he doesn't kill him. And then he goes and gets Abigail and takes her back to her room. So again, Will has ended up shooting another man. And so he has to go and see Hannibal. He goes and speaks to Hannibal and while he's there he confesses that he felt like he wanted to kill the pharmacist. But not only that, he tells Hannibal that part of him enjoyed killing Hobbs. And Hannibal tells him that that's what power does to you. It makes you want more of it. Episode 3, Potage. First of all, I have heard that said in a French accent and it's a lot better. But I'm from Yorkshire so... You'll have to take what you're given. Sorry. So we start the episode with flashbacks of Abigail being shown by her father what to do when it comes to hunting. And of course, his big rule of honouring the kill, which means using every single part of the animal. Bones, pelt, eyes, everything. But this is all actually just a dream. And she wakes after seeing an image of a girl who was one of her father's victims. But now that Abigail is awake, Alana goes to see Will at his home to tell him that Abigail is now awake. She knows that as soon as Jack has found out the news, he'll want Will to go directly to the hospital to go and see her. But at this point in time, Alana thinks this is a bad idea and that it would be more helpful for Alana to go instead of Will because she doesn't know Alana. She thinks the FBI would be too bushy and both Hannibal and Will were at the scene of her father's death. When Alana goes to see Abigail, she informs her of her parents' death due to the fact that no one in the hospital was willing to do so. And at this, Abigail doesn't seem shocked. And she just claims that she wants to move on from it all. And now more than ever, Alana believes that everyone, including Will, Jack, herself and Hannibal, needs to stay away from Abigail. And she needs some space to process what's been going on. But of course, Jack is insistent that they need to talk to her. He still has a bee in his bonnet about this whole 
he thinks that she was an accomplice to her father. And this isn't helped by the fact that Alana believes that Abigail is hiding something. She saw how nonchalant she took the news of her father's demise, barely shed a tear over her mother, and she seems so cool and calm about the whole thing, about just moving on. But Alana thinks that they need to create a safe environment for her first so that Abigail can feel safe before she starts to disclose any information. If they don't, Alana thinks that she will just clam up. And when Jack begins to push for Will to go and see Abigail, Alana tells him no, that that won't help this at all. But Jack tells her that it doesn't matter what she says right now, she isn't Will's psychologist, so he'll ask Dr. Lecter instead. So during a lecture that Will is giving, he comes to a conclusion while going over some evidence from the previous case, which involved the copycat killer, the one who copied what Hobbs did, but did it in a more grandiose way by displaying the body for everyone to see. And he thinks that maybe the copycat killer somehow knew that the FBI was onto Hobbs, and he tried to divert them so that Hobbs could get away, and he believes that whoever this person was, was the one who warned Hobbs on the phone. So of course now that Abigail is awake, Freddie Lowndes has started sniffing around. She's come to see Abigail about an interview about what happened with her father and everything that happened with the girls and just to get some information. Now obviously this woman is a tabloid journalist so she's going to sensationalise the story whatever she does. Doesn't matter what Abigail says, she's probably going to pin it on her anyway. But just before Abigail can say anything, Will and Hannibal turn up and they ask Freddie to leave. Which she does, but she doesn't go too far. Will and Hannibal then take Abigail around the grounds of the hospital. It's the first time she's been out since she actually woke up from her coma. And she tells them that she's worried about the aftermath of what her father did. And now that she's up and around, asks if she can go home. Now while Freddie Lowndes was in with Abigail, she actually told Abigail about the fact that Will was going to be visiting her. And she also told her that he was insane. So when Will leaves the hospital, after Abigail's visit, he bumps into Freddie in the car park. And she tells him that if he helps her with the story, she can make things a lot better for him when it comes to what she's been writing about him. However, if he doesn't cooperate, she can make things a lot worse for him. At which point, he essentially says, if you're going to threaten someone, try not threatening someone who thinks about ways to kill people all day, every day. And of course, that's the story that she writes. She starts accusing Will of being the next Minnesota Shrike, which was the nickname for Garrett Jacob Hobbs when they discovered Elisa's body. And the reason for that was because a Shrike bird impales its prey on branches and rocks and things like that before it eats it. And of course, that goes along with what Hobbs was doing. So of course, this ends up pissing Jack off because he's not happy about Will getting all this attention, especially with what happened in the last episode where Abigail nearly got killed because she's close to Will. And it could have been one step further. Will could have been the one that got shot instead of the police officer. So Jack's starting to worry about it, but he is pleased that it wasn't Abigail who would have ended up coming out of hospital with this story being written about her. So because Jack now wants 
So because Jack now really wants Abigail to start talking and give him more information about her father, he speaks to Will, Alana and Hannibal about what the next steps are. And Will informs them that she wants to go home. And straight away Alana says, no, she shouldn't go home. It's not to the best interest of her. It's going to affect her and we haven't even properly had time to speak to her yet. So when Jack asks Hannibal what his opinion is, Hannibal goes the total opposite and says that being at home would probably be the best for her right now and that maybe she will be able to open up a bit more. Um, because it serves his interest better, Jack decides to go with what Hannibal says over Alana. We then start to see how far Freddy is willing to go for this story as she ends up going to see the brother of the, the victim of the copycat killer, Cassie Boyle. And when she speaks to Nicholas, the brother, she tells him that Abigail is now awake, which, since he believes that his sister was killed by Garrett Jacob Hobbs, he believes that Cassie was also killed by Abigail. But now that Abigail is allowed to go home, Will, Hannibal and Alana all accompany her there. But when she gets there, she finds that the house has been graffitied with the word cannibals written across the front in paint. But they head inside anyway, and while they're inside, Abigail starts to run through the scene. In fact, before they even head in, she starts to run through it. She stops on the porch and asks if this is where her mother died. And Will tells her that it is, and that they would have tried to help, but it was too late for her. She'd lost too much blood by the time that she came out of the house. And in fairness, if they'd have spent any time with the mother, they may not have got inside to save her. But once they're inside and she's checking out the job that the cleanup crew had done and asking questions about the scene, she also starts to become invested in Will's ability. When Will starts to ask about what she remembers from that day and whether she remembers the phone call that she took, her eyes flash towards Hannibal, only briefly, and the only one who sees it is Hannibal. And now Hannibal knows that Abigail knows he was the man on the end of the phone and therefore potentially the copycat killer. Or at least he's got some reason for warning Hobbs as to what was going on, even though he's meant to be working with the police. And the reason for that is because, I've not said before, but Hannibal has a European accent from around, probably say, Germany or Austria. Now, obviously Mad Mickelson is... Danish I believe but he has affected a German-Austrian accent in this because the character of Hannibal is from around that area or at least he is from the film Hannibal Rising. In fact after a quick google search he's actually Lithuanian but he has that sort of central European accent so in the middle of Minnesota it would have been a distinctive accent at that point to call the house so Abigail knows something's wrong and Hannibal has flagged that she spotted him. So as they're going through the house some more, Abigail suggests that maybe they could recreate the murder. And it's here that she does something interesting as well, because she tells Alana that she could be her mother, Will that he could be her father, and then looks at Hannibal and says, you can be the guy on the end of the phone. And it's here that Hannibal knows that that look definitely meant something. So when Will starts to talk about evidence, and whether he'll be able to find anything. Abigail tells him, not a chance. He always taught me to honour the kills, and that's what he'll have done with these girls. He'll have used every single piece of them. And at one point she describes that 
her father used animal bones and managed to grind them down and use them as putty for pipework and any repairs in the house. So potentially, that's where these girls are. But also, he'd sell stuff to local shops. So maybe he sold parts of these girls to certain places. They'll never find any trace of these girls. But before they can go any further, Abigail's friend Marissa turns up and she suggests that they go for a walk. Obviously, being around two psychologists and a FBI profiler isn't exactly the best company and maybe that she needs a good friend at this point. So they go for a walk outside, but as soon as they do and they're talking about what went on, Nicholas Boyle arrives the brother of Cassie, the last victim. And he starts mouthing off at her and and telling her she's a murderer and all this kind of stuff. And then Marissa tells him to back off, throws a rock at him and hits him in the head. And when Hannibal and Will come out to see what the commotion is, Hannibal spots the rock on the ground with blood on it and slightly covers it with some leaves while no one's looking. And so next, Abigail takes them to her father's cabin. And it's here that as she's going through everything, she realises that her father was the one who honoured the victims and he taught her to honour her kills. And that meant if a part of that animal was edible, you ate it. And then she realises that she probably ate some of those victims, if not every single one of them. Before she can truly react to what happened, blood falls from the ceiling and onto Abigail's head. Will heads upstairs and finds Marissa, and like the other victims, she has been impaled on the antlers that have been hanging up there. Obviously, she's dead. So as soon as the FBI find out about this, they send Jack out and his team, and straight away Jack is confused, because Will told him that this copycat killer wasn't going to do this again, and he certainly wasn't going to do it this way. If this psychopath that Will had described was going to kill he'd do it in a totally opposite way, not doing it this way again. So now he starts to question Will's ability to do his job because he was wrong. And Hannibal starts to point the finger at Nicholas Boyle and he suggests that he also probably killed his sister Cassie. Now for the first time, they actually end up finding some crucial evidence because it seems that In Marissa's mouth, they found DNA, so they can test it, and if they can get a sample of Nicholas Boyle, they're going to have their answer. And Will almost backed him up on this, because he believes that whoever killed Cassie and Marissa were definitely the same person. So, of course, this DNA could close this copycat case as well. And Hannibal suggests that the next victim is probably going to be Abigail. So Jack immediately wants to get Abigail out of town because he's worried for her safety. And the person that he sends to get her is, of course, Hannibal. So Abigail, Hannibal, and Alana go back to the house. But as they do, Freddie Lounge is on the property. She's snooping around, but she comes into full view of all three of them. And when she does, she informs them that she's not the only one who's snooping around the property. They send Abigail inside, and Alana and Hannibal speak to the police officer outside. So when Abigail is inside, she's just sat in the room remembering about everything that's gone on and just sort of, she's clutching a pillow at this point at the thought of everything that could happen to her. And then she remembers what her dad said about honouring the victims. She then takes a knife 
and unpicks the pillow that she's clutching, and inside she finds the hair of the victims of her father. Like she said, he honoured the victims, so he obviously kept part of them somewhere, and if he was honouring their hair, he'd have to do something with it, and that's where he kept it. He stuffed pillows with them. It's here that Nicholas comes in and he tells Abigail that he wasn't the one who killed Marissa, but of course, but of course she knows that he's after her anyway. So she tries to make a run for it, chases her down, and as he pins her against the wall trying to keep her quiet, she takes the knife that she opened the pillows with and stabs him. Just then, Alana and Hannibal are coming into the house, and Abigail heads upstairs towards them. But straight away, before he even sees her, Hannibal feels something's wrong. And so he takes Alana's head and smashes it against the wall, knocking her out without doing any damage to really hurt her, just to knock her out. Obviously, Hannibal is well skilled at this kind of thing now, so he manages just to knock her out. And as she falls to the floor, he catches her and lays her down gently. And then he sees Abigail, covered in blood. He tells Abigail to take him to the scene and tell him and tell him exactly what happened. But when he gets there, he tells her that this isn't just a stabbing. You've gutted him. Like, we can't go to the authorities with this. They will see that you didn't just stab him. You gutted him like your father would have. And he tells her that he's willing to put his career and his life on the line to try and help her out. And he will help her hide the body. But she needs to trust him. We then cut to Alana, sat in the back of an ambulance. Jack's there and Will's there. And they're talking to her about what's gone on. And she says, it was all a blur. Someone just hit me on the back of the head and I went down. And they tell her that it was Nicholas. Nicholas hit Alana and knocked out Hannibal while trying to get away after harassing Abigail. But Abigail managed to get hold of him and managed to get some DNA off him. And of course, they've matched the DNA against the DNA that they found on Marissa. And they found that it was an exact match. But of course, we know that it was Hannibal that planted that evidence. So Abigail has been taken back to the hospital to ensure that she gets the treatment that she needs. And after her first day there, she goes to visit Hannibal. She sneaks out of the hospital and sneaks into his office. And while she's there, she accuses him of being a serial killer. She believes that he is responsible for what happened to Cassie and Marissa. But he tells her that he's not like her dad. He's like her. Episode 4, Earth. And again, I apologise. I'm not French. I've never been French. I don't pretend to be French. So that was probably shocking. But essentially it means egg. So so the episode starts with Will and Lecter talking. And Will is giving his account of what happened that day in the Hobbs home. And Will also tells Hannibal that he feels guilty for what happened to Marissa. But since all of this has happened, he feels this connection towards Hobbs. And Hannibal suggests that maybe he doesn't just feel a connection, but he is becoming like Hobbs. But Will tells him that he thinks he's wrong. He knows his own mind. Next, we see the latest crime scene for this season. And it is horrifying, as all of them are, in all fairness. But we see that Will is stood next to a family dinner table where it looks like it's a 2.4 children type of deal. It looks like a proper homely life that you would see in any sort of American TV show about the ideal situation. The only thing that's not ideal about it is that the food on the table is rotten and each family member is dead. 
Hannibal, however, has gone over to Will's place. When we see him, it seems like he's breaking in. And not only that, he is messing with equipment that is in Will's house. For instance, Will must be an avid fisherman, and he has a fishing lure just set up that he seems to be building himself. And Hannibal goes over and adds an extra element to it, as if putting his own stamp on it. And maybe because of Will's ability, and like we've said, he's on the spectrum, he's wondering if Will might notice it. I'm not sure what's going on there, but it's certainly odd behaviour. But what we actually find out later in the episode is that Will allowed Lecter to go into his place. So although it looked like he was breaking in, he actually had the permission to be there because he was looking after Will's dogs. But the act of actually looking after his dogs while Will was out in the field seemed almost as if Hannibal was an intruder. It didn't seem like he was feeding the dogs. It seemed like he was giving the dog a treat to keep it quiet. It was it was a weird situation. Back at the crime scene, we see that Will has found some more information about a child who used to be part of this family, Jesse, who was kidnapped a year earlier. One other detail that's noted about the case is the fact that it seems that each victim was shot from a low angle, as if the perpetrator was kneeling or crouched down. Alana has gone over to see Abigail, and while she's at the psych hospital with her, they're talking about her treatment there and how things are getting along for her and how she's feeling. But Abigail tells her that she feels stifled there. It's not people really helping her out. It's just people sort of screaming and shouting about their own problems. She feels like she's too old to be there and that this isn't a real benefit to her. So then when Alana visits Hannibal, he suggests that maybe that she be allowed out of her facility and that maybe he could become sort of a surrogate towards her. But Alana doesn't like this idea. She thinks it's too soon for her and she thinks she needs the proper treatment that a facility would provide rather than a quick fix, which is what Hannibal is suggesting. Still on the scene, Will is wrapping up and as he looks at the mother, he believes that she was the one who was killed last. And it seems like it was a mercy killing more than anything. And he tells the other investigators that he thinks that there was some sort of forgiveness in her eyes in her last dying moments. We see that Jack has dinner with Hannibal. And in the previous episode where Jack and Hannibal had dinner, Jack mentioned about his wife and how they would have to come over for dinner at some point, And Hannibal suggested that they do. And here again, we see that Hannibal and Jack talk about Jack's wife, but we haven't seen this woman yet. As for Hannibal's meal, once again, we catch a glimpse of what it originally was, and this is one of the lines that's always stuck with me. And every now and again, I'll think about it, and I'll think about watching this series, and then I won't for whatever reason, but it's this. Jack turns to Hannibal and says, what am I putting in my mouth? Hannibal says, rabbit. And Jack says, well, it should have hopped faster. And then the scene cuts, and we see a man running through the woods as Hannibal says, Yes, it should have hopped faster. And it's it's fucking chilling, and I love it, and it gets me every time, and I, then I go, I want to watch that show now. Sometimes I won't even remember what it's from, but I'll remember Mad Mickelson's delivering it, and then it'll trigger other memories. Such a good line. And it's a bit like the line from the newsroom, the very first opening speech. 
where Will talks about, Will McAvoy in this case, talks about how America isn't the greatest country anymore, but it could be. And it's that rousing speech that always makes me want to watch the newsroom. And it's this rabbit line that always makes me want to watch Hannibal. So while I further investigate in this murder scene, the evidence seems to suggest that the Turner family were killed by what looks to be another family. And it seems to be a family with children in it and they were part of the murder scene and that might explain why it looked like they were shot from a low angle it seems to suggest that it was the children killing this family but jack quotes that right now with everything that's going on will should be okay with children killing children which is a little dig at what he thinks that abigail has been doing with her dad we then find out that there is another crime scene that is also a similar situation to what the Turner family have endured. So they head out to see it, and this scene is just as bad, except the music starts up and it's Christmas tunes. And I'm not sure what time of year this is, but it certainly ain't Christmas. As his camera moves around this room and shows tinsel and baubles and Christmas lights and Christmas music playing, it focuses on the family at the table, and again... It's another scene of death. But here they find a difference between the previous scene and this one. This scene is the Frist family. And where the similarities lie, the differences stand out. We find that the son of the Frist family, who had been missing for a while, was actually still alive. And not only was he alive, he was in that house at the time when his parents died. And the reason that they know that is because Connor had been killed and thrown into the fire to burn. So it shows that if you aren't loyal to this family that's going around killing, you're going to end up on the other end of it. So when they start looking at the scene as to why Connor would have ended up in this situation, it seems that Connor's mother was shot by two guns. Whereas in the other scene, it suggested that only one gun was used. In this case, one gun was used, which was probably the gun used by Connor. But when his mother didn't die instantly, it seemed that someone else came along and shot his mother dead, and then killed Connor. So they start to look at missing boys between the ages that Connor and the Turner boy, that Connor and the Turner's son would have been around, and we find out that there's been several other boys missing in and around this time frame, and then we see them sat in the diner with a woman, and they're planning the next murder. So because of everything that's been going on, Hannibal goes over to see Abigail, and while he's there he suggests that maybe they can get a day pass and come out to his, and they can have dinner together. And when he does, she tells him that she needs someone to talk to because she's been having real bad nightmares about what went on. And so when they get to his, he suggests that maybe she ingests magic mushroom tea, and that way it will be in a controlled environment, and he can help create a situation where she feels more comfortable, and it will overwrite the memories that she has, the bad memories. It seems that Hannibal has everything in place. He's got things in his house that he's creating that will remind her of the last time she saw her parents. So, for instance, he's making the same meal that they had before Will and Hannibal turned up. And he's created an atmosphere to sort of overwrite the memory of what happened with her parents. So through the evidence that Will is seeing, he believes that these boys are not only being manipulated by a woman, 
or a mother figure who is trying to help them process being kidnapped and trying to make sure that they feel a real kinship to her. But he also feels that there's an older boy involved who is potentially manipulating these kids into doing the acts that they've been doing. He finds this boy and he pinpoints who he thinks this child is. He's a boy who was also kidnapped a few years earlier than they were and had a bit of a rough past. And he believes that this boy CJ is the one that is leading his younger brothers, quote-unquote, to murder their own older families. It's here that they get word of one of the other missing boys being seen in a shop near to where his previous home was. And then it's all, and then it's everyone to their action stations as they all head out to try and track down the family. They need to get to this family before the boys strike again. So then it seems like they go all into SWAT mode and the power of the FBI descends on this home. They manage to track them down. They manage to take out the mother. They manage to get the child of the family and take him away. But it seems like he's going to be locked away for a while. And they also get CJ. So when Alana finds out that... So when Alana finds out that Hannibal has taken Abigail out of the hospital, she's pissed and she turns up at Hannibal's place and she confronts him about it. At this point, the magic mushroom tea has started to work on Abigail and she's sat in the other room and she's out of it. Now, Hannibal dresses this up as Heath feels like Alana was right and that maybe it was too early to take her out of the hospital because she had an episode and he had to sedate her with Valium. He tells her that he gave her a half of Valium and that maybe she needs to be returned to the hospital. But he does say maybe they should sit down and have food first. So when Alana goes through to the other room and sees Abigail off her tits, she thinks it's the Valium, but actually it's the mushroom tea. And while Abigail is tripping and she's got this smell of breakfast in her nostrils and she's sat at her dinner table as she was previously with her family, she starts to zone in and out and sees Alana as her mother and Hannibal as her father and they're just sitting down to have a nice meal. So in this instance, it seems to have worked what Hannibal was trying to do, but you've got to think long term with this guy. What's his end game? Later we finally see Jack's wife. Jack is sat in bed and he's reading and his wife comes in, but things seem really cold between them. And she gets into bed and she slips under the covers and she rolls over to her side and doesn't really address him at all or ask him how his day was or engage with him in any way. And Jack asks the question, do you think it's too late for us to have kids? And bear in mind what Jack's been doing all day. Jack has been investigating families that have been killing families. Children killing children. He said it himself. He believes Abigail is a killer. He's dealing with a lot of child murder at the minute. And his first question to his wife when we first see her is, do you think we'll ever have kids? And they seem quite later on in life, I'd say probably mid-40s. I'm not sure of their actual ages in this show, but I'd say they're probably playing about mid-40s, maybe a bit later. So to ask that question is a lot. I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. I'm not saying that they can't adopt, because of course they can. But it just seems a lot. But his wife just stays on her side and says, it's definitely too late for me. And at this point, we don't know what that means. 
Okay, so looking at the time for this episode already, I know that it's going to be a long one, so I'm just going to be quick on this summary. What a fantastic series so far. Like, I forget how good it is. I forget how well shot it is. I forget how brilliantly acted it is. Mads Mikkelsen playing Hannibal is fucking brilliant. He's so menacing, so calm, so cool, so collected. It is an honour to watch him at times doing this character. Anthony Hopkins is fucking great, and he will always be the number one Hannibal Lecter, but, I mean, Mads Mikkelsen gives him a run for it. At least, you know, Hannibal in Silence of the Lambs and Hannibal, you kind of see him as this, and Red Dragon, to be fair, you kind of see him as this background character. He's there, but he's not there. Whereas this, he is there constantly, and... You can see the manipulation that he's doing. You can see how he is trying to get inside Will's head. He knows he can pull Will apart and maybe make him into a killer, but he just twists and turns and tries to get everyone to do his bidding. It's a game to him, and it's a fucking clever game. He's also got Jack wrapped around his little finger. Jack can see no bad in Hannibal, whereas obviously coming from the perspective of we know what Silence of the Lambs is, you know who Hannibal is. It's eerie and it's fun to watch. And watching it again for, I think it's the second time I've watched this, maybe the third, but watching this again now and doing it with headphones on, distractions away, obviously I'm having to take notes, so I'm trying to pick up every little thing that I can. It's really great to watch. The only one who doesn't seem to trust him is Alana, and that's because everything that is happening around her, Hannibal is the one who is generally at the cause of it. If she says no, and it doesn't benefit Jack, Jack will go with what Hannibal says. And generally, Hannibal will try and side with Jack to keep him in his good graces. And then you've got Will, who has this incredible ability. And the the way that the crime scenes are shot are reminiscent of, say, a CSI. They're brilliantly shot, but they're gruesome as all hell. Like, some of this stuff you wouldn't have got away with on CSI. So, yeah, it's incredible. So brilliant. So well shot. So beautiful. The the sound on it is crazy. Like, it has this sort of... The scene I'm thinking about is in Silence of the Lambs, where Hannibal Lecter is sat in the cage and he's about to be transported. He's sat and he's got his classical music on and he's just swaying along with the music... And then, as soon as the guard comes in, Hannibal attacks. And then the next thing you see is a whole whir of body parts and Anthony Hopkins' face everywhere. And then the next thing, Hannibal's gone. And the police officer is strung from the cage with his guts hanging out. And the classical music is still playing. And that's sort of the vibe of this whole thing. It's... Classical music, classical music, classical music, and then a blast of noise as Hannibal does something horrendous to someone. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Can't say enough for the show. I forgot how good it was, and it's just proving how good it is and deserves a bigger platform. I am hoping that at some point this comes back, because fuck me, it's so good. Um, It deserves either a film with Mads Mikkelsen as Hannibal or it deserves to come back and tell the final story before it goes into what would be the Science of the Lambs 
anyway, we'll get onto that more as we get further through this season and probably through seasons two and three. That's where I'm going to end it for today because it's been a long episode. I've got to edit this now. In a minute, it's an hour and 50. I'm hoping to get it down. It's not looking great at the minute. So thank you so much for listening. I really hope you're enjoying the show. Again, numbers are there. They're showing that you're enjoying it. Just They're showing people are coming back. So if you are, if you've listened from the beginning, come say hi. If you've just tuned in today, come say hi. I want to know what's intrigued you, what's good about the show, what's bad about the show. I'm trying. I'm really trying. So thank you very much for listening. And I hope to speak to you soon. Bye. Well, that's all for now, amigos. If you managed to make it to the end of my ramblings, thank you. And if you want to rate, share, subscribe, comment, it's all appreciated. Until next time.